is the Imperfect Buddha Podcast. The podcast that's willing to go where other Buddhist podcasts fear to tread. Each episode features a topical discussion and a bit of banter, or an interview with an interesting guest. You can download episodes from SoundCloud and get stuck into the discussion over at our dedicated Facebook page. We also do Twitter, and you can find out more on many of the topics discussed over at the Post-Traditional Buddhism website. The Imperfect Buddha Podcast is sponsored by O'Connell Coaching. If you're interested in exploring a contemporary, pragmatic and coaching style approach to personal development, spiritual practice, meditation and so forth, feel free to get in touch. If you're interested or stimulated to think further and get practical with any of the material that comes up in any of the podcast episodes, I might just be able to help. So get in touch. You can go to the O'Connell Coaching page and find out more. This episode's music is provided by the experimental producer Rasia out of Bristol. The song is called Red X. Go to the Young Echo sound label for more and discover the eclectic sounds of the Young Echo Collective. Welcome to the Imperfect Buddha Podcast. Before we get into part two of this two-part discussion between Matthew and Hawkeye, I'd like to introduce Hawkeye. Hawkeye Sabal, our guest this week on the podcast, is a practitioner, pathfinder and mentor. Besides guiding a local Buddhist group gathered in the Mandala Society of Croatia, he works with a number of individual practitioners around the globe who he meets regularly over Skype for mentoring. Hawkeye proposes that deep practice can be pursued in the midst of one's life as long as it is clearly distinguished from religious activities and therapeutic transactions. Matthew first came across Hawkeye on the Buddhist Geeks podcast and was delighted to find him living just an hour away. He has known Hawkeye for several years now as a mentor and as part of a developing friendship. In addition, I was directed to some of Hawkeye's Buddhist Geeks episodes prior to leaving Shambhala Europe. As a direct result of this, I've been working and practicing with Hawkeye as a mentor for the past few years. I enjoy his unique and individualized approach and sense of humor. Both me and Matthew are inviting questions for Hawkeye for a follow-up episode, where we plan that he'll reply and answer to your questions. So please post informed and interesting questions to either the SoundCloud page or to the Imperfect Buddha podcast Twitter feed. We hope that you enjoy this episode, and again, both myself and Matthew are both very pleased to host and show Kai Sokai. Enjoy. So we, we started off by talking about uh, divisions of Buddhism, contemporary Buddhism, into these three areas, and then we've connected up a few topics. On top of that, we finished up by talking about awakening, um, and I mentioned this idea of an idealized view of awakening as therapeutic and producing a perfectly happy human. We kind of dismantled that a little bit and then said that you sort of said the field is open for how we define things, right? Yeah. 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 So mm, why don't we talk about practice for a bit? How does that sound? It sounds very well because actually the, the, the effort in defining is best grounded or anchored in the practical approach. Right. Uh, namely, uh, if you define something well, it should work well. Yeah. I mean, the definition should be ad- an added value to the to the practice. So, I think there's a there's a kind of a feedback uh, mechanism between the practice itself or the experiential approach and the the you know the the, the linguistic the the uh, the whole the whole uh, semantic approach. Uh, there is the experience itself, and there is the meaning of it. You know the as I sometimes playfully call it, the soma and the sema, mm. the body and the meaning, mm. uh, or as 
you know, ancient Buddhists would call it the namarupa, the name and the form. Mm. Uh, so, uh, if we define something well, it should open doors in practice. Okay, good. That's the, you know, that's my working definition of a good translation and a good definition. Okay. And, you know, uh, those doors are always there at the time. So, this doesn't mean that this definition has to last forever. You know, we may need to modify it just as it change, change, change a key or a key lock or a handle, you know, on a door or fix the, you know, fix the frame for the door or something like that. So door needs maintenance, practice doors, practice approaches, practice, you know, pathways need maintenance, much like a pathway in a garden. Mm. It needs maintenance. And so also the definitions need some maintenance. We can't just freeze the definitions in time as if we found the perfect language. And from now on, these words, you know are the Alpha and Omega, this is the Dharma, you know, this is the Logos, mm. it's going to be true forever. Mm-mm. Words, you know, stop working, of course. Yeah. Definitions stop working, you know, yeah. interpretations stop working. And how do we know that? Our practice suffers because of them. Mm-hmm. Very easy. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. I think a lot of people that lack um, a certain sense of uh, freedom and confidence in addressing this you know, it's it's easier to rely on or go on re- go, in, uh, go on refuge to the language as well, right? So the reliance on a rigid form seems to re- produce some sort of uh, guarantee or sense of stability, whereas what you're describing is a more fluid, flexible, and dare I say, human response to the needs for language to actually impact people, right? To create a relationship. Oh, that's the old uh, age-old polarization. Uh, it's, it's all the civilization, I guess. The somatic camp and the semantic camp, you know? Yeah. Some people were beholden to the word. Other people were beholden to the sensation or perception or whatever it is, what the direct experience, whatever, you know? So let the words speak to themselves, you know? Go back to naked experience, to direct experience. The other camp would say, you know, you, you don't know what experience is until you can say a word about it. Right. I think there's a middle way. You know? Yeah, and well, we should hope so. I mean, if we trust the, the historical record, the, the the Buddha, you know, after his awakening, most of what he did was talking nonstop, you know. I mean, <laughs> according <laughs> to how many, you know, how many uh, sermons are recorded, I guess there are at least as twice as thrice as many, you know, that were not recorded or remember. So he must have done, you know, at least five sermons a day. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, no matter, no, no wonder some people believe he was bilocating or trilocating, you know, because he was giving right. three sermons all at once yeah. at three different locations, as they would say it, you know. But uh, yeah, he did a lot of talking. So the Buddha, you know, the historical Buddha himself was definitely not an enemy of the spoken word. And he wouldn't be an enemy of a written word later on, and much less an enemy of the coded word these days. But yes, the word must be made flesh. I agree with the, you know, with the Christian dictum. And the flesh must be made word. Mm-hmm. All the same, you know, mm-hmm. the soma and the sema again, you know. There has to be experience and there has to be a conversation around it, right? Just as, you know, conversation, once it dies out, the, the one we're having today, fueled by... Uh, you know, the fabulous pasta and the tartara and, uh, you know, a sip of red, right? Uh, we're having now, the conversation will die out, you know, when you run out of time 
you know, I'll yeah. be just left sitting here on my own, <laughs> talking to myself. Uh, I'm recording a sermon. Yes, for but I agree. Yeah. The, the next, yeah. the next poll to move towards definitely is practice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's do that. So, um, well, here's the question then. So we started off by talking about mysticism, right? Mm-hmm. Or a mystical view. So why don't you talk about that? What? How would you define practice within a mystical view? And what would its purpose be if it's not about making people feel better or find themselves more strongly rooted within a tradition or religion? Come again with, with that second, second half of the question. Yeah, so we started off the first half of this conversation. You broke Buddhism down into three categories. Yes, yeah, so mysticism. Right? And then you mentioned... Yeah, so what's, what is practice then? Okay. Okay. And its purpose. Yes. If it's not therapeutic. Yes. And it's not about plugging someone into religion. Yeah. Oh, belonging. Okay. okay, okay. Yeah. I understand now. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, we could define it that way as non-therapeutic and non-religious, but I don't think it That's works. Not enough. Very, it works no. very well. Yeah. Because that there are many. Uh, many uh, stupid things in the world that are neither therapeutic nor religious, you know. <laughs> and this doesn't make them mystical, right? I know. And there are many practical things, you know, that are neither therapeutic nor religious, but they are still not mystical, you know. Mm. Still, still useful, you know. Still useful thing, like taking a nap, you know, every now and then. It's not a mystical practice, but it makes sense. And the cultures that don't respect naps, you know, are usually in deep trouble. Mm. Sooner or later. Mm. Not mentioning any. Huh? <laughs> I'm not mentioning <laughs> any, no. So, uh, yeah, let's start with the meaning of mystery. Let's do that. Yeah. The mystery uh, is not something apart from what we normally experience. Uh, it's a little bit like the relationship of emptiness and form in, in later <clears throat> Mahayana being two sides of the same coin in a perpetual balancing act going from one to another, like a kind of a supreme oscillation of everything that arises in our, uh, in, a, in, in, in our experience, <clears throat> going from emptiness to form, from form to emptiness all the time, like a, like a beating heart, mm. you know, of, of lived reality, mm-hmm. lived experience, right? So a little bit like that, the mystery in relationship to, uh, <clears throat> could we call it, uh, uh, obvious, obvious reality, or whatever is obvious at the moment, mm-hmm. right? The mystery is not hidden uh, by, by, by phenomena, the mystery is not hidden by how things are or anything, how things appear. When we say mystery, we mean something else, not necessarily something hidden. Of course, mystery is hidden to many people. And there's a, a mass, massive literature on that, how it is hidden, why it is hidden, etc., etc. So I'm not going into that. But the mystery in the sense in which I, I prefer to use it these days and which informs the kind of mysticism I'm referring to is uh, that uh, uh, things are mysterious because uh, they refuse to be categorized or they refuse to be reduced to explanations or they refuse to be uh, predicted absolutely and regularly. Things used to be forced into a kind of uh, 
um, reliable, predictable, safe, you know, <laughs> organized, structured way. And that doesn't just include uh, normal life, that also includes spiritual practice par excellence, you know. The practice <clears throat> refuses to be codified, refuses to be put into uh, terms, formulas, you know, do this and then that happens. It, it, more, it more works like do this and see what happens. And then try not doing that and see what happens then, you know. Mm. So it's, 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 it's an explicit way of trial and error. And uh, that's one part of it, of course, right? And uh, there has to be, uh, and uh, for the mysterious approach, I wouldn't say necessarily mystical, but for the mysterious approach, there has to be a kind of a, a upfront an, an upfront agreement to maintain a certain obstinacy, you know, in your practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, th- this is working, is it? You know. And this thing isn't working, isn't, uh, you know, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that kind of... So it's not being fooled by the appearances. Yes, yes. Uh, try once again and see what happens. Mm. You know, de- develop a taste. You know, there has to be an acquired taste mm. for... for um, it's an idea that comes from uh, Gibson, I think, the, you know, the, 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 the science fiction writer. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, he has a slow virus... In, he mentions in one of his works, I think, a slow virus. It's it's like a it's like a computer virus, right? Mm-hmm. But it works slowly. It moves so slowly that it's completely imperceptible uh, to the to the defense mechanisms. Okay, you know? a slow virus. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a little bit like the attack of the prayer prayer mantis, you know. <laughs> you know, it's it's not doing anything. So you know, how do you defend against it? You know, mm-hmm. it's a little bit with the mystery like that. Also, it moves so slowly, you know, that it's super fast. Uh, all the same, it's a little bit like the the, the the God, you know, in in his in his Godhead dimension in mystical Christianity, you know. As soon as you look, it's gone, you see. But as soon as you move your your gaze from there, it's back, <laughs> you know. So you learn to you learn to look by this this side, sideways, you know. You learn to notice what disappears, and you note you you learn to appreciate something in its absence. Mm. That's the that's how the mysterious approach works. Now, where is the mysterious approach to be, to be uh, you know located or practiced? It's not it's not in some special state, whether a shamatha generated state, you know, or mm-hmm. uh, or a vipassana, you know, the clearing of the clouds of confusion where the sun of the primordial wisdom shines freely in the open expanse of reality. You know, <laughs> isn't that encouraging? Well, the mysterious way works equally in a, you know, a moonless night, mm. in pitch dark. Mm. It's exactly where it works at its best, when you don't see anything, mm. you know? Why? Well, because first, uh, the mystery is, uh, is, uh, covers the whole spectrum of what we usually experience and what we usually engage in. Now, first of all, there's the sensory perception, right? And... Uh, Mystery uh, at that at that level is the is 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 defined or 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 expressed uh, in words as the uh, 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 empty appearance of everything in sensory perception. Mm. Uh, in other words, when we say empty appearance, we don't need, we don't mean uh, something non-existent, etc., etc. We mean that 
uh, everything appearing to to our senses is uh, is uh, a little bit like a dream, oh. a little bit like a dream because it's so vivid, it's so real, it's so really out there, you know, that uh, you you can't pretend it's not there, yeah. But when you try to explain what it is, you are at a loss with words. I mean, there's a very simple test. Try and explain the redness of a rose to a blind person. It's very simple. Can words convey it? No. Or try to explain something, even if it doesn't have to be a blind person. Try to explain a color a person has never seen. You know, it's a little bit like green, but it's also a little bit like red, but it's neither, you know? Mm-mm. And the person goes like, you must be kidding me, you know? <laughs> I mean... But it's very easy when you see it, you know, but it's very difficult to actually, uh, you know, describe it or put it into words in any way, mm-hmm. not because it's ineffable. Mm. It refuses to be captured in words. Okay. I mean, okay. words can kind of make you curious about it. You know, if you tell someone it's a little bit like an orange, but it smells like fish. <laughs> what the heck would that be <laughs> did I detect disgust <laughs> well, you're just you're still an Englishman come on oh yeah an Italian would become very curious so probably it's an orange smelling like fish oh <laughs> <laughs> how'd you cook that <laughs> you know uh, so uh, that, that's the sensory perception yeah appearances You know, that's what, that's where the mystery resides, nowhere else. But it's the, it's, it's the, uh, it's, it's the open-ended nature of the very appearances, sight, sound, touch, smell, taste, even a thought, you know, but we'll leave that out for now, that reveals the mystery. Uh, the, the closer you come to a sensory perception, whether it's an object or a field, the, uh, the less you know about it. It's a little bit like uh, quantum physics, you know. The deeper you go, it's more like a rabbit hole, mm. you know. They keep having new theories about everything, you know, but <laughs> but the, the experimental application keeps avoiding them, you know. And, and the more they find out, the bigger the explosion in mm. the unknown, mm. you know. And it's the same with looking at the night skies, you know, with the new telescopes, you know, where there seemed to be nothing, now there are billions of galaxies with the famous Hubble, you know. Hubble exposure of the dark part of the sky, right? And everyone goes like, wow, you know? It's the same with the mystery. Now, you keep finding new levels of sensory experience, but you also keep dropping into new and new dimensions of the of the inexplicable and the ineffable. And the intimacy with those dimensions, it's what constitutes a, a deepening or a growth in the mystical practitioner, naturalizing them. That's where the word, and I know where your objection to mysticism comes from, that's where the word mysterious, you know, becomes a little bit counter to how it's used these days. Mm. Actually, uh, as, as, the mysterious, as, the mysterious it's, as the mysterious is naturalized through your practice, it becomes, it becomes a form of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is in beginning a mystery? Uh, ends up increasingly feeling like an intimacy. Mm. But an intimacy you wouldn't even think of putting into words. <laughs> And being a family man, I'm sure you know what I'm referring to. <laughs> I can relate to intimacy. Yes. Yeah. 
And you can also relate to not even thinking of putting some of it into words. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Never being idiot enough to try, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and to me that, you, you call it mystery, of course, but uh, it, yeah. it seems that what we're describing, though, is still just depths of humanity at the end of the day. Well, you're talking about the best of humanity. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I mean, uh, that's what some of the art does. Yeah. You can call it the intersection of conscious and the unconscious, mm-hmm. you know, as mm-hmm. Jean Cocteau did, you know, yeah. he said that art is a marriage of, of the conscious and the unconscious. I would say that mystical practice is a child of that marriage. It's, okay. it's a fruit from that marriage. And that's what intimacy is. It's where whatever is unconscious and unconscious, unknowable also, yeah. which cannot be made conscious, right? Mm. Because there's always a lot of that. And whatever is conscious and knowable, where those two intersect, you know, there's there's something which partakes of both, but which is also neither, yes. strictly speaking, mm-hmm. but but expressed as both. Yeah. So so that that's what mystery is. But beginning at the sensory level already. Yeah. Now the second level of that is the is the empty clarity of the speech or communication, right? Uh, some you know some classification in traditional Buddhist spectral uh, terminology would call this the subtle level, but Sometimes, you know, sometimes body, body, speech and mind are used as, as uh, code for gross, subtle, very subtle. Mm-hmm. But in this case, uh, the, the communication part, it's, 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 it's a process of resonating through words and other symbols and other carriers of meaning to, to miraculously transmit experience mm-hmm. or, 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 or attempt to do so, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean... We often take words uh, on their on their face value, and this is where we fail to transmit anything. Mm. And we believe that words mean what they say, you know, instead of what they do. Mm. And we never stop to listen what they do <laughs> by looking into the eyes of the one being spoken to. Mm-hmm. Is there a spark there that resonates? You know, the one in the one who is speaking. Is there a meeting of of, of eyes, if not minds, or is this just the echoing of the words, mm-hmm. countered with a counter argument? Or with an agreement, yes, yes, you know, something like that. So we're not talking about uh, conversation in the regular sense. We are talking about uh, about language and communication in its widest possible uh, application. So e- even plants communicate between each other. They send chemical signals, you know, to and from. Uh, not to speak of all forms of animals, you know, and all forms of human life, even the worst enemies have an open channel for god's sake you know so everything communicates with everything at all times mm-hmm. that communication is not does not always lead to a deeper understanding of course but the resonance is there the resistance is there mm-hmm. and within that uh, resonating resistance there is there is an anti-clarity that emerges even confusion when produced through communication is a form of clarity now we know we don't understand each other it's a form of clarity. Mm-hmm. But we would never know if we would just stay quiet, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, if you speak Italian, I speak English, and we don't know each other's language, you know? We very quickly come to a conclusion we are not communicating properly, you know? There's, you know, there's a lot of meaning being lost, which is a form of clarity. Mm-hmm. Getting to that point is a form of clarity. Mm-hmm. So th- that clarity is always empty. Just like that first intimacy is always empty, this clarity is always empty. You can always say, uh, you know, what we got rid of, but you can't really say what we acquired mm-hmm. because it's just like open space. Yeah. You know, when you and I understand each other, we got rid of a terrible burden 
of getting to that point, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what have we actually acquired? Well, the freedom to be with each other yeah. and to just laugh and have another one mm -hmm. and, <laughs> you know, and whatever is the case, you know, get to know each other better, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily get into the sensory level. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps, you know, in some form, you know, socially sanctioned form yeah, sure. <laughs> of sensory interaction. <laughs> well, we just project that need onto the food. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So we eat of each other's flesh exactly. through a third, through a third party. That's right. And a, sacrificial. A, a poor animal. That's right. A sacrificial pig. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So there it is, you know, what, what, what was acquired? An openness, you yeah. know, Heidegger yeah. would say a lichtung, yeah. you know, an opening, a clarity. Yeah. yeah. A light, uh, a clearing, a clearing, a yeah. lighting up all at once. Yeah. So, and then the third level is of course the mind, you know, you go the body, you know, the sensory level, the speech and the mind is also mystery. Uh, why? Because thought, thought is empty. And yet, you know, look at what's happening with ideology, you know, in this crazy world. Yes. This is what happens when thought is no longer empty. Mm -hmm. So instead of being, uh, instead of being like, uh, how do you call that, 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 that cloud, which uh, in, in, in its own body produces a, a rainbow. So uh, the, uh, the point the, being that it's the point being that thought, sorry, isn't the point there that, that is self-producing, it just produces itself or no. It's not the point not being that it's self-producing, the point being that it's simultaneously opaque and transparent. Okay. So it's it's simultaneously a form mm. and it's simultaneously a relevation of freely uh, freely uh, moving light. So so it, it it gives enough resistance to light to produce a a, a uh, what's the word? Uh, when 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 white light is split into refraction? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> is that the word? <laughs> So it's, it's thick enough to produce refraction, yeah. but it's transparent enough to not trap the light in it. So that's, that's my, my idea about what a word should be, you know. So it should be an example of both form and emptiness. Mm. Okay. No, not a word, a thought. Sorry, yeah. a thought. We're we are at the thought level now. Uh, that, that's a third example of mystery. Now, uh, now, it's also a third level of intimacy with one's experience because, you know, as you know, Thought uh, to, to to most of us, even the even the well seasoned ones, you know, uh, often appears in the form of uh, uh, command. You know how things are, and you know it's it's believing believing a, a thought as, as an indication of what's real and what's unreal is uh, is is an early contracted uh, transmitted disease uh, that is uh, you know notoriously difficult to get rid of and. You know, the only probably periods when we are fully free from it is when we are without thought. That's where the, you know, this whole uh, age-old uh, fascination with uh, these meditative states in which thoughts don't arise it comes from. You know, because when thoughts don't arise, you are, you know, you are, you are so off the ride. You know. Uh, of the significant portion of the ride that, you know, you feel, you know, as if you were completely rejuvenated, you know, oh my God, you know, I could live like this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, as it, as it comes, you know, you could live like that if you were a plant, you know, or a simple sea animal somewhere on the, you know, bottom of the scale uh, yes. or of the feeding chain, you know. 
you could live like that, but not for long, because, you know, there would come another animal and eat you up <laughs> as you lie there in your non-thought state, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you better come up with some serious thinking how to escape that destiny, you know. Yeah. And that's yeah. what thought is about. It's very much about survival, yeah. you know. And that's why it becomes so opaque. But nonetheless, it is the third carrier of uh, mystery. Where, where thoughts come, where they go, uh, and knows. when do, when they have their brief life, where do they reside? Yeah. You know, a careful investigation into that matter reveals a, a naturalized relationship to thought that is at once incredibly, um, incredibly uh, exciting, you know, almost erotically exciting, I must say, and at once uh, uh, mysteriously dispassionate, yeah. which is a very weird, you know, kinky relationship to have with thought, <laughs> <laughs> you know, be... Be, 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 you know, be, be warmed up and cooled down by it yeah. uh, simultaneously. A little bit like the tiger bomb from the 1970s. You remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit like that. Tiger and most people who are into meditation have problems with thinking, you know? Yeah, they do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a different matter altogether than thought, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, what I was talking about now is uh, uh, thought as mystery. Yeah. So there is sensory, you know, sense, sense experience, sensory experience as mystery, uh, you know, speech and communication as mystery, thought as mystery. Thinking is, you know, thinking especially, uh, you know, disorganized, uh, how do you call it, uh, uh, compulsive, you know, compulsive thinking, yeah. programmed, you know, re reactive thinking. Or, or, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, thinking that arises when nothing else is happening just to fill in the void, you know, mm -hmm. and the unpleasant sensation of being a little awkward and uncomfortable with the silent moments, you know, that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a serious problem. That's true. Yeah. But thought was never an enemy and thought was never a problem of meditation, you know, mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. itself, never. Actually, most meditation are organized are, uh, around certain forms of thought right uh whether symbolic or verbal right yeah. verbal thoughts exist as as as, as a bit instruction mm -hmm. you know as inspirational verse as mm -hmm. mantra mm -hmm. as as koan yeah. or huato in chinese practice and, and things like that those are words for god's sake and these words produce thoughts mm -hmm. that open doors you know into the mystery and or it could be symbolic thought, you know, imagery mm -hmm. or, or some other kind of uh, non-visual imagery, you know, but which, which then makes into a complex system of vis visualization and all that. Uh, or it could be externalized thought and externalized imagery and then you have art mm -hmm. uh, and things like that, you know. But it's all, it's all part of this mysterious uh, approach to practice that gets easily, you know, gets easily abducted and misdirected by the religious i mean most 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 brilliant examples of of uh, spiritual art come from mystical practice not from the religious but then it gets you know it gets uh, co-opted co-opted by the yeah. religious and then mm -hmm. the, the symbols uh, the, the symbols used and the metaphors used in the in the uh, in the art uh, which were originally disruptive and and you know mind numbing and mind revealing at the same time, you know, uh, they, they, they become cliches mm. of religious uh, uh, preaching, you know, through image or poetry. Yeah. It's a contrast to this formulaic tendency then within tradition to... Yeah. It's, it's, to it's try a, and it, turn everything into a reliable form. Yeah. It's a messy thing. Yeah. 
you get your hands dirty there. You know, you have to actually mold, yeah. mold the, the the prime matter. You yeah. know, with from which which is your raw experience. Yeah, yeah. But then you have to make it into something. You know, without departing from the material itself. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about emotions and feelings before. Well, this morning actually, um, when you talk about this experience of of actually looking or experiencing or having intimacy with these these levels of experience, and you look at thought. And you experience thought, and as you said, where does it come from? Where does it go? I mean, that's that in a sense opens the way to the possibility of things like awe and wonder. Oh, oh yes. And these again are. I mean, I, I'm going to keep repeating myself here, but I, I think the conclusion I always come back to is that this is this is just humanity, and I don't mean just as in it's it's plain and dull. And Absolutely. It's it that that's the level at which we can you know bridge the gap and share. Absolutely. And my view is that um, a lot of practice ends up, and perhaps that's just in those first two categories again, ends up becoming a means for managing the intensity of experience. I'm fine with that as long as by humanity we mean not just a uh, strand among many strands of species and things like that, as, as long as as long as we use humanity, not just in the narrow sense of what is typically human, as opposed to other possibilities of no, it means of the being, potential of, of participating in the world, human and, being in the world. Yes, yeah. yes. So there are two meanings. One is a more narrow one, specifically being a human being, yeah, with all its entails, yeah, including all the limiting factors uh, that that the human are so popular, you know, and so so successful at producing for themselves. Uh, <laughs> we. Which, which are not always dysfunctional, to mm-hmm. be honest, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Being careful about stepping into future, you know, is not completely dysfunctional. <laughs> let's not be too eager with, sure. with, 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 you know, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves yeah. too quickly, especially at this time when we see certain problematic tendencies happening yeah. <clears throat> with technology and etc. Sure, and yeah. culture. And yeah. so, you know, we want to move on. Move on to where? To Z's, you know? <laughs> Let's have a planet of Z's and yeah. all wars will end because everyone is a Z now. And everyone's equal, yeah. And everyone is a Z-equal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah. let's 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 just take a break here, you know? So humanity has a narrow definition. Meaning a human being. Yeah. And I used to toy with this word at a certain point where I would say human is the, you know, is the typical conditioned, uh, you know, dimension of this, of this two word expression. And being is the open, open sphere dimension. Okay. So it's a being in human form. Got you. You know, but not a being, just being. It's just being. Not a being or the being, yeah. but being. Being in human form is a human being. Yeah. But the A comes from human, not from being, right? So also the sense of individuality, a sense of being special, not a sense of being better, but mm. special, meaning mm. unique, different from others. Mm. When, when I say special, I mean unique. Every human being is unique, right? But being is one, all at the same time. So a second meaning of humanity has more to do with being, meaning that a human being is a person in which the totality of being may be reflected. Yeah, okay. So there are many humans on the planet, but there are not many human beings in this sense. And if you, if you, if by humanity you mean all humans together, then I'm together with, uh, 
I'm together with uh, Slava Zizek, you know, he said, <laughs> how do you know, how do you know you're a, you're a Marxist, you know, he said, he said, well, he said, when you're so hopeful and optimistic about humankind, but so dis- despising of humans, <laughs> <laughs> then you must be a Marxist, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. so, okay. you know, be, being very optimistic about the humankind and very pessimistic about humans, individual humans, you know, this I is a typical... I don't, I don't think that's Marxist. <laughs> well, that, I, no, I, that's Zizekist Marxist, you know, yeah. of course, it's his sarcasm but you know it's not it's not for the for the feeble of mind i mean if you think zizek is is anything he's never been a literal a speaker you know he almost no, never thinks not. exactly what he says no 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 he's, he's a provocateur he's a lacanian you know yeah, so yeah. he he always must mean something else but not exactly yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's there on the edge you there's know there's always space for interpretation uh, yeah, yeah yeah but yeah. he's you know he's like he's like moving along the edge of the table without falling yeah. over the edge you know yeah. so I like that expression, but it it shows it it points to the you know to the Lacanian problem of of the word humanity. You know, if you if you if you if if you extract that word from individual humans, that you're in trouble because individual humans are much less than what humans can be. Yes. You know, strictly speaking, just yeah, yeah. statistically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you look at the whole humanity, the humankind, you know, then yes, yeah, yes. The mystical or the mysterious way is a deep journey into humanity. Yeah. Why? Because uh, because everything is reflect- reflected eventually in our humanity. Yeah. From the lowest to the highest, you know, from the smallest to the biggest. Yeah. Everything is reflected therein. And if you want to become intimate with yourself, you better prepare to be intimate with everything you will ever meet. Yeah. Yeah. And there it is. And everyone else, of course. Yeah, yeah. For better or worse. Yeah. And and this is what is peculiar about mystical practice. Yeah. It's not a matter of being intentionally obtuse or playing the esoteric card, you know, or something like that. It's a question of uh, of staying faithful to the to the very character of the mysterious approach. And that is while we have to say something, we we have to be careful that the wording leaves unsaid what needs to be left unsaid and that is a personal call of every practitioner it's it's a challenge for every practitioner to find a, a good measure a sweet spot a sweet spot mm. yeah between between words and what is left unsaid yeah well isn't it in part avoiding suffocating that body yeah. potential yes words have to invite in yeah not not to leave you in in, in a false impression of being explained on the outside they have to draw you in. And on all of this, faith is required, is it not? Oh, yes, very much so. Not belief, as, uh, as our friend and, and, and uh, pioneer in some of these things, Ken McLeod, uh, emphasized many times, not belief, but faith, yeah, which are pretty much uh, in, in, in tension, in, uh, in, in a contradiction of terms. Uh, faith is required, yes. Faith, as, as uh, I, I believe his uh, original uh, definition, by which he still somewhat stands, would be a willingness to open to what is there. Nice. Yeah. So it's an, it's, it's an open-ended, open-mindedness, an open-heartedness about, mm-hmm. about what presents itself as you go step by step. Mm-hmm. Uh, courage would be a willingness to, to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and faith would be a willingness to accept yeah. what you find there. And I think within that, there's, uh, the, there's that humanity again, as we, as we were discussing before, of the completeness of what's possible, because 
you know, if it's always fresh, if it's always an opening to what's taking place, um, it could be courage that's needed, it could be vulnerability. Oh, we have no idea what awaits, you know, behind that um, door. No idea. But there are some qualities that can help us on the way. You know, the illusion... Curiosity the, being one. You know, the stench of awakening, a modern... Oh, it's a Zen expression, yeah. Mm. The stench of body, the stench of awakening. Body, the uh, AGI, right? The stench of enlightenment, yeah. It, the modern, uh, the modern uh, reinterpretation of be with it, a, a, a growing disposition to uh, to know what's what's next. So, so you know, if if that's the stench of enlightenment or stench of awakening, you know, the more awakened you are, you know, the less the less surprised you're going to be, right? About, Depends how you define surprise, right? About certain things, Sur yes. Surpri Just like surprise you know, can be a pleasant experience of <laughs> oh, that's where this this oh. yeah, th this is where distinctions come in. You know, yeah. distinction is everything. So, just like a scientist wouldn't be, you know, surprised by gravity, you know. <laughs> I mean, even if he's... There it is again! Yeah! Uh, or by its oscillations in certain yeah. forms, you know. Uh, even if he's just a six-year-old scientist, you know, he would be like, okay, there's gravity, yes, you know. <laughs> and I can prove it at any point, you know, even in, you know, even in gravity-less conditions, you know. And... Uh, just so you know, the, the awakening mind of an awakening practitioner wouldn't be surprised by, you know, by impermanence, especially at the personal level. Yes, you're growing old and you will die, you mm -hmm. know. And yet, most of us, you know, most of the uh, awakened people I know, you know, get into a state of shock when they realize they're no longer 30 or 40, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, uh, no one present included. <laughs> you know, uh, as time goes by, you know, mm -hmm. we get wiser, yeah, right? Yeah. No, we get older. We Come are. on, wake up. We don't get wiser. It's only if you work hard <laughs> <laughs> or if you're incredibly lucky bastard, you know? Well, in fact, what you, just, what you said actually um, is something I was thinking about a while back <laughs> in questioning what the hell is wisdom? Yeah. Because isn't it just experience? No, 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 <laughs> no, it's, it's, the, it's the intimacy, you know, it's, it's the, the intimacy. intimacy with everything, yeah. We've got about 10 minutes left. Okay, and then, you know, so, okay, let's wrap it up, the surprise yeah. part. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, you will not be surprised by impermanence, you know, unless you spend most of your time avoiding it. So, a mysterious approach would be an approach of making yourself, making yourself... Uh, accessible to impermanence <laughs> which is happening all the time you know in you around you you know on the edge it's always happening but but you said something important you, you said you're actually establishing a proper relationship with it yes you're actually saying come on in yes I, well it's well, well it's already in, i you know, know it but, is, but that's yeah. not the point right? reveal yourself you know yeah. show yourself to me you know yeah. okay <laughs> i promise i'll put those two Toothpicks in between my my eyelids, you know, and I'll keep my eyes open even though no I'm not so happy yeah. what I'm saying, you know, yeah. with what I'm saying. So uh, yeah, impermanence come in, you know, struggle, suffering come mm. in, mm. you know. Register, please. Yeah. In my body, in my heart, in my mind. Mm. Wrenching, lonely, mm. 
Desperate. Mm. Hello. <laughs> It's not a path of happiness, mind you, you know. <laughs> well, it does help you develop a sense of humor if it doesn't kill you. <laughs> and and finally, you know, not uh, you know, uh, taking a break from being someone uh, is is extremely what's the word salutary, sobering, salutary, healthy. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, healthy. It's rejuvenating. Mm. You know. Take a break from, you know, maintaining the pretense, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. because being someone is a pretense. Yeah. I mean, you drop it when you die, don't you? Yeah. And usually a little bit before that. Yeah. Unless it's an abrupt death in the middle of a thought. Mm. <laughs> Lucky bastard again, you know. Most of us these days, we have a prolonged torture called yes. a medical miracle, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> starting at around 75 and finishing by 115. <laughs> Uh, from what we're looking at yeah. but anyway going back to this those are not going to be surprises if you haven't spent your life avoiding them but the mystery that intimacy we mentioned before never stops to amaze mm. the uh, uh, the gushing of experience is always fresh mm. That's it, mm-hmm. you know, and it just doesn't stop to to show you how vulnerable you are, you know, to show you how how significant it is to be insignificant in the middle of all this, mm-hmm. to show you how precious uh, this endless repeating mm-hmm. actually is, and to show you how little incremental, little incremental discoveries uh, are worth decades of. Uh, of honest trying, mm-hmm. you know, and and waiting and and you know, patient, gentle, humorous, uh, returning mm. to the art of trying to be more intimate with what we believe is just obvious. Mm. That's that's what's happening, and uh, that's the practice basically. And uh, you know, it takes yes, it it takes it takes. Uh, 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 a bewildering variety of forms, because uh, it actually borrows from the whole, from the whole spectrum of available, you know, uh, tools and approaches and disciplines, etc., etc. But uh, the uh, if if awakening resides anywhere in this kind of practice, it's in the process itself. Mm-hmm. The process itself, the, the 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 sadhana itself, the practice itself is what is being sought. So it's it's a little bit like mountaineering, like hiking, you know, it's not the top that counts. I mean, you go to the top and then you go back, right? The top is just a reference point to reach and then to abandon, mm. going back into the city. It's the whole process of hiking. Perhaps it's the beer and the sausages at the end, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But those only taste good if you've done a whole day of hiking, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so those, those, those sound, you know, they don't taste as sweet. If you've spent your day in front of a TV, right? Yeah. If you haven't worked for it yet. Yeah. But when you work for it hard, then, you know, even a mediocre sausage tastes like heaven. You remember? Yeah. Yeah.